I think that's still how you do make friends, right? Give them food. <laughs> when I watched that earlier, I was like, man, if I was that girl, I'd be like, why are you give me the kind bar? Give me those Cheez-Its. Give up the groceries. But that's what you did, right? You always gave, if you're going to give something away from your lunch, you gave away the thing that you liked the least. You didn't give them your favorite thing, unless you're a good friend, which is what we're going to talk about today. Ooh, see how that happens? So I am um, still in recovery because I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. And um, it's been a couple of weeks of pain. And if you're a Packers fan, if you're now a 49ers fan, uh, you now feel our pain too. But next week is the Super Bowl. And so uh, we're going to have a great week, uh, a great month together celebrating all this stuff. We've got all kinds of fun stuff planned in the next few weeks. Uh, next week we'll have a bunch of food and games and stuff. Uh, around football come and bring your favorite jersey and if you don't wear your favorite jersey we're going to hand out Cowboys shirts uh, for everybody um, to represent my favorite team and because I am the only one that seems to matter around here so um, no I don't know if you uh, have ever had a moment where you became aware of life and I don't know exactly how to describe this but um <clears throat> It's happened for me a little bit more as I've gotten older, and, and maybe it's kind of an odd question, and, and maybe it is a little bit too deep for this time of day, but, but most of the time what I've experienced is that we're so busy living our life that we're not always aware of life itself. And, and so there's been these several moments uh, over the course of my life the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight, ten years, and it's happened a few times in the last couple of months where my wife and I, Hansi, have been hanging out with people that we really love and that we're really close to, and we're enjoying our favorite food, which is Mexican food, which I think is going to be served in heaven. I'm pretty sure that's biblical. And we're enjoying our favorite drinks, and we're laughing and talking about life and God and faith and kids and family and maybe even a little bit of politics mixed in there. And right in the middle of it, I've had these moments where it's as if a window opened up and I was able to sort of step outside of the moment and view it from the outside, and all of a sudden you just become aware, and I became aware of how beautiful and wonderful and precious this thing called life actually is. Strangely enough, we have those experiences in really powerful, really good moments, whether it's standing on the shore of you know, the ocean and watching the waves crash, or staring up at the sky on a starry night or holding your baby for the first time, right? We have those experiences during those moments as well, but I've also had the same experience in some of the darkest and most painful moments of my life. Um, some of you know the story, but this week has been kind of the anniversary of one of the most difficult things and the most difficult chapters for our family, because six years ago this week, um, my stepmom went to pay her Macy's bill on a, a Tuesday morning and walked out of the Macy's store at Solano uh, Fair Mall in Fairfield, California, where uh, somebody was waiting for her, and 10 o'clock in the morning, walked up behind her, struck her with a bat, and um, she never recovered. And, um, and it was just this thing that consumed our life and over the next few years, because she died a few, uh, a few days later, but the process of that young man being arrested and then being go, going to trial and dealing with media and all the stuff that goes around it, 
But there were all of these moments, even in those first few days, when we were all just overwhelmed and in shock uh, at the horror of it all and how crazy it was that it had happened to us. Um, and, and she didn't die right away. In fact, she was an organ donor, so they kept her alive for a few days uh, while the organization could get there to, you know, get all the stuff squared away. And, and so um, she actually ended up dying on that Friday and we were all of there, all there. My dad was there, and our kids were there, and some of my brothers and sisters were, and their families were there, and uh, and saying goodbye, and then pulling the plug, and and then it was over. Um, and it was just this overwhelming grief and pain. And we decided that we needed to, you know, go and you know, we hadn't. It had been hours and hours since any of us had eaten, and so we decided to go out to eat. And uh, my wife was horrified because she's wired where. When she's experiencing something deep and painful and stressful, like she stops eating, and I'm the exact opposite. When I'm experiencing something emotional or deep and painful, like I cannot eat enough. And so it made perfect sense to me that we went to a Mexican restaurant to eat. And so uh, we're, but I, I remember sitting at the restaurant and it just being so surreal, the, the moment and the experience and watching my kids cry and and then in the next moment we're telling a story and remembering something and celebrating and talking about the previous Christmas and then my brothers are there and my dad and then this this beautiful thing that was happening that was so broken and messy and painful and, and just realizing and becoming aware that life is happening I mean it turns out in those moments and it turns out really for all of us that 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 people, that relationships are the actual, the, the primary context for our lives. They're the source of the greatest joy, and they're also the source of our greatest sorrows and pains. And, and so we begin what for me is an important conversation today about the idea of friendship. Now, I don't know what it was like for you growing up, but maybe like me, you had a, a really close friend that you not only hung out with, but you could count on and you did crazy stuff with and maybe even got into a little bit of trouble with. Um, and, and I had different friends that fell into that category different times in my life, but, but one that was kind of a constant all growing up was my brother. I have a younger brother's name's Bo, and we are still very much best friends, and growing up, we fought all the time, but we stuck up for each other, and we fought both for and with each other a lot, and we also did a lot of really dumb stuff together as brothers do, um, and, and so I was kind of the brains in the operation, and he had much more of the courage and the willingness to execute on my brilliant plans that I would come up with. And so uh, we grew up in um, Grand Junction, Colorado for a period of time, and uh, we lived in this apartment complex, and it was back when fireworks were really awesome, and you can actually still get some pretty cool fireworks around here, but um, we had nothing but amazing fireworks, and so, um, and, and the smoke bombs back in the 80s, they actually produced a lot of really great smoke. And so I had this brilliant idea. Across the street from where we lived, there was a bar. And, um, and I was like, hey, what if you went over there and you lit like 10 smoke bombs and you threw them inside and then we just watched what happened? That would be awesome. And he's like, all right. So I gather my friends together. We're sitting in the living room. We got this big window, living room window. We're watching across the streets right over there. He rides his bike over there. He parks it. He looks over, gives the thumbs up. I was like, yeah, you know, all right, we're good to go. And so he lights, he's over there, he's got a little lighter, he lights them all on fire, pulls the door open, throws them all in, runs over to a field, dives in the bushes, and just like waits, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and that 30 seconds just felt like it took forever. And then the door swung open, and just 
smoke like the place was burning to the ground came billowing out of the door and people stumbling out and you know drunk people and coughing and and we were like yes i mean it was just such an incredible moment of victory and then i was like stay hidden stay hidden because they're looking around you know everybody's looking around and, and then <clears throat> the very next year uh we did a lot of dumb th- dumb stuff with fireworks but the very next year um and don't judge me, all right? I, don't, I can't explain the way that things work in the, the mind of a child. Uh, but we decided, it was late one night, my mom was gone. <coughs> we went out, <clears throat> and um, we had these little uh, like ground bloom flowers that would light up and not just spin, but kind of fly up into the air. And they were fantastic. And, um, and we're like, what if we threw these at cars? Um, and so that's what we decided to do. And so fortunately or unfortunately what happened was the very first one we're like watching watching looking behind this building okay here comes a car so this time he lights it and i'm gonna throw it and i go to throw it i throw it out into the street and it lights up and as it's lighting up i see the driver's face look over and it's my mom (laughs) and she makes eye contact with me and we just like sprinted home cut through the apartment complex got to the couch and we're just like sitting there when she walked in it's like hey mom She's like, um, you know, a weird thing just happened to me out in the street. Some kid threw, and I was like, what? She's like, yeah, it looked a lot like you, Randy. Uh, and we got in so much trouble. I, I don't know, like, ha- have you ever been young and done something stupid, but then you have a friend and then you do something more stupid? Yeah, like, it's awesome having friends growing up. Anybody have somebody that you had like that in your life, a friend that you were just super close to? Too, that you did some great stuff with, maybe some done stuff. The truth is, like, we all have had friends. We all know what it's like. We've all had people that we can count on. And the truth is, we all need people we can count on. We all need friends. What's interesting, though, is that as we get older, we tend to have fewer and fewer people that fall into the category of being a friend. I mean, sure, we have a lot of people that we're friendly with. I mean, and you think about it, you have people in your life that, that maybe kind of fall into, that, that the label gets put on as friend, but, but really the relationship is more utilitarian. It, it's a function of a shared purpose that you have or something that's kind of mutually beneficial for the both of you. Uh, and, and so it works out great, but there, there's not a, a lot of depth there. And then we have a lot of social friends. I think this is probably where most of the people that we consider to be our friends kind of fall in this category. People that we don't, you know, we like to hang out with, we have fun with, we drink with or fish with or golf with or whatever. We get together and we kind of gossip and vent to and talk about the latest shows and all that stuff. Um, and, and there are people that we mostly connect with for fun, but there, again, there's not necessarily a lot of depth there all the time. But most of us are lucky if we have one or even two people in our life who truly know us, people who we know that no matter what, they got our back and they, they know that no matter what, we have their back. And, and many of us don't have anyone that falls into that category. In, in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. A, another translation, I love it the way it says, it says that friends love through all kinds of weather. And when we read that, something inside of us goes, yes, because we've all experienced like friends that don't love through all kinds of weather, right? So there's something in us that, like, yeah, that's the, that's the kind of friends I want to have. Those are the kinds of relationships that we all crave and long for because everybody kind of agrees on just 
yeah, friendship matters. It's important. I mean, I've never met anyone who's anti-friendship. I mean, there's not a lot of people out there that are trying to make the case against having friends. I mean, I've known people who have pretended to be, but really, when you kind of dig beneath the surface, they're just people who were hurt or betrayed by somebody that they love, or they're, they're really lonely or they're hurting, and they really desperately want a friend, but it's easier for them to pretend that they don't really need anybody. And later on, in the very next chapter of Proverbs, in verse 24, chapter 18, it says, one, someone who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, that first part cuts kind of close to the bone, right? Because we've all experienced the kind of ruin that occurs when a friend that we thought we could rely on turns out to be unreliable. We, we all know the instability that happens, the, the way in which that wounds us and hurts us when somebody that we thought had our back, somebody that we thought was a ride or die, somebody that we thought would never leave us, and now they're gone. Unfortunately, the reality is for all of us is we've, both, we've been on both sides of that equation. We don't like to admit it, but, but you know, if I'm being honest, I've contributed to the ruin in someone else's life because I was unreliable. And then he goes on. There's a second half to what he says, right? He says that, that part where there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's someone who's loyal and more committed than even your closest family. Somebody who is willing to stick by you, who will hold on to you, who refuses to let anything tear you apart, which sounds amazing. And yet somehow we don't always fully grasp just how powerful this conversation is when it comes to relationships and friendships and connectedness. So there's a famous research project on relationships and, and, and friendship and connectedness called the Alameda County Study. Um, and it, it's called that because it was conducted in Alameda County. And it was, what they did was over a nine-year period, they tracked um, over 7,000 people, which is a lot of people to participate in a study. And, and they discovered a whole bunch of things about people and about relationships. Um, but two of their main findings that came out of the study is one of the things that they found is that, that isolated people were actually three times more likely to die than people who were more relationally connected, people who had more friends. Then this might be maybe the most interesting thing they discovered, is that people with, who had what they called bad health habits, people who smoked and drank a lot and made poor eating choices and were obese and in poor physical health, People who had bad health habits, but who had strong relational connections, people who had strong, close friendships, they lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but who were isolated or who had less friends. In other words, you're better off eating ice cream and tacos with good friends than you are eating kale alone. The devil's lettuce, kale also, if you have friends who try to get you to eat kale, you need new friends. Get, get rid of those people. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. That's right. There was another study that was done by the American Medical Association where they took 276 people who had volunteered and they infected them with the virus that causes the common cold. And, and what they found in their study is that people with stronger friendships did four times better fighting off illness than people who were more isolated. They also found that people that had strong relational connections were less susceptible to colds overall, and they produced and shed significantly less mucus 
than people who were more relationally connected or people who had more friends, right? right? So I'm not making this up. Literally, it's scientifically proven. Unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. It's just science, you guys. Like, I don't know what to tell you. But these studies, and there's tons more like them, they simply confirm at a biological level what the scriptures have been telling us from the beginning. What we see when we read the scriptures, I mean, it's odd that we would look in a book that we read to tell us about God and how to have a relationship with God. But when we begin to look in that book and read it, we not only discover that it tells us how to have a relationship with God, it begins to have a conversation with us about how to have a, conver- how to have a relationship with one another. See, you were created for community and friendship. You were made for relational connectedness. You were designed by God to love and be loved, to know and be known, to serve and be served, to celebrate others and be celebrated. And to miss out on this is to miss out on the way that God made you. Whatever you do, whatever else you accomplish, however much stuff you pile up in your life, however high you climb on whatever ladder you're trying to climb, if you miss this, you will miss the reason for which you were created. Now, maybe you hear that and you think, wow, that feels overstating it a little bit, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, because you're like, no, I was created for God. But I I, want to push back a little bit against that and say, that may be true, but you were also created for humanity. I mean, stop and think about it for a moment. Before the fall of humanity, before Adam and Eve sinned when they were in the garden, before everything got all messed up, in the world, you know, in the world before humanity was broken, before there was sin, and it was just Adam living in paradise with God. Did he need anything else? Because we like to think that the reason that we have needs is because of sin or because the world is broken or because we're somehow incomplete. And so we love to sing worship songs that talk about how God is all we need. And and I know what we mean, and that's a nice sentiment, but it's just not true. I mean, outside of obvious things like, well, air and water and food that you need to actually live. I mean, it's easy to say that God is all you need until you wake up and you realize you're out of coffee. And then you're just like, I just need Jesus and coffee. I just need Jesus and tacos. But I want you to see something going all the way back to the beginning. So when you open the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1, It's not God's beginning, but it's the beginning of us and God, and it's the beginning of the story of God and humanity. And so in the opening chapter, God is creating, and he is creating the cosmos, and he's speaking, and in one moment he speaks, and light actually becomes a thing. He speaks, and he creates the heavens. He speaks, and he creates stars, and, uh, and, and planets, and solar systems, and the universe. He, he speaks, and he creates the heavens, he speaks and he creates the oceans and land. And every time he creates something, it says over and over and over again, that he says, that is good, that's good, that's good. And then in one moment, he creates humanity and he stops and he says, man, that is very good. And so you have Adam who's living in a perfect relationship with God in paradise. There's no sin. Watch what happens next in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. God looking at all of it. He's done creating. And he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him 
a helper who's suitable for him. Wait, wait, wait. Adam is like perfectly connected to God. There's no sin. The world is not messed up. He's living in paradise. He's living in a paradise created for him by God. But yet God looks and says, man, something is still missing. Something is off. Now, I, I know, like, especially if you're a Bible person or you're a church person, like, we read this and we often extrapolate it all out for this story to only be about men and women and love and marriage and sex. And those things are obviously important. And that is a part of what happens and eventually unfolds as God begins to address this need that Adam has. But what God is speaking into is so much bigger than that. Because this story isn't just about husband and wife and marriage. It's actually about human connection. It's about relationships and loneliness and friendship. It's about what's good for the human soul and what's not. What's interesting about the story is that like, God is the one who noticed Adam's need, not Adam. Adam wasn't sitting around going, man, I'm kind of lonely down here. God, what's going on? Like, you got somebody else? You can send my way? What's happening? No, Adam, at least from what we see, Adam feels like he's pretty content but God's looking at it and going, no, something's still not right. Something's missing. Adam has a need that he's not even aware of. See, I, I think we're actually prone to do this in our own lives where we just think, yeah, I'm fine on my own. Like, I, I just, I mean, it's normal for us to just, you know, like nobody, it's just kind of normal to not really have anybody that you're close to, maybe except your spouse. And I don't really need close friends. I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good by myself. But God's going, no, 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 no. It's not good. That's not good. I'm looking at Adam, and it's not good for him to be alone. And so God decides that he needs to make someone for Adam. Before he does that, though, God begins this process by bringing all of the animals. You can read it in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 2. He brings all the animals that he created, and he brings them to Adam. And Adam's hanging out with all the animals. He's naming animals. He's you know, doing, doing his thing. And, and, and when you read the story, it's easy to think like, Okay, God and Adam sort of set out to see if maybe one of the animals would work as, as a, a partner and a friend for Adam. But I don't think that's what's happening. I, I don't think God was like, oh, maybe one of these other things that I created will be a great companion for him. Maybe we can find a partner for Adam among all the beasts and animals. I don't think God was unsure. I, I think he actually does this because he's wanting Adam to arrive and to begin to see his own need that God has already seen. And so God brings all the animals and he's like, all right, there's two lions and there's two hippos and there's two antelope and there's two gazelle and there's two crocs and there's two mice. And he's going down the line and, and he get and but there's, there's only one of, it's only one of me. I, I think that God has him walk through this process so that he can begin to see it for himself. And I mean, to be honest, there were some good possibilities, right? I mean, dogs are man's best friend. Adam's hanging out with his dog and playing cat fetch, and you know, dogs are great, but they're also kind of dopey and they eat their own poop. So there's that. I actually like to think of Adam as being more of a cat guy because cats are awesome and superior to dogs in every way. But he's sitting up holding his cat and he's petting his cat and it's purring because cats are amazing and it's smart. But also the cat is aloof and indifferent and self-absorbed and might kill him if he forgets to feed it because that's just the way cats are. They're selfish. And then there's the whole talking thing that's a problem with animals, right? So, so Adam, as he's working through, he actually comes and arrives at this, the same conclusion that there's nobody for me. And so God could have easily found some dirt and made another human being really quick, but he doesn't. 
and, and which I think is instructive. And so he decides to put Adam to sleep, and he takes one of his ribs, and from that rib he makes Eve. And, and this is not an incidental part of the story. Because even the way that God designed human reproduction, even the way that God designed human bio- biology, like he could have, he's God, he could have made it work any, any, any way he wanted to, right? Like he didn't have to create a system where every human being came from another human being, where there was a baby growing inside a female body. He could have just, I don't know, he could have just been like, all right, when you're going you're gonna to reproduce, you're going to have more kids, like it's just going to be bubbles. Like you're going to get a bubble and it's going to start growing and you just have this little bubble and you take care of the bubble and it gets bigger and bigger. And I think that would be great because then it'd be more obvious when somebody's, gonna ha- when somebody's expecting a child and you can just like, hey, I see the bubble. And then it gets big enough and it's just kind of floating around and then it pops and you catch the baby. And yeah, like you got a baby. God could do anything. He's God. He could have made any system he wanted. But he didn't make that system. He, he made a system where from he created Adam, but from that point forward, every other single human being who would ever come into being, who would ever live, would actually come from another human being that there would always be this sense of connection and intimacy and relationship, that it would always be a reminder to us that none of us exist on our own, that we weren't actually created to come from a bubble or to live in a bubble. And so God makes Eve, and he gives Eve to Adam, gives them to each other. Have you ever ever had a moment where you had something working just the way you wanted it, but then someone else came along and got involved. Like, like you had everything organized just the way that you liked it, and it was all figured out, and you had just gotten your arms around the system that you wanted it, and it was just working how you wanted it, and everything was working perfectly, but then another human being decided to sort of insert themselves into it and to help you, and, and the problem is, is that they think differently than you, and they like, have the audacity to have their own opinions, which is really annoying, and their help kind of messes all the system up that you had. And it was like, it doesn't make things better. It made things worse. Like, I actually like to think that that's some of the dynamic that was happening with Adam and Eve. Like, Adam has this routine. It's just him and God, and he's good, and he's built this nice little shelter for himself. And then Eve shows up, and she's like, what is that? And he's like, that's where we live. She's like, that's not where I live. That might be where you live, but you need to build me a house. Because I ain't sleeping out here with all the animals. And I'm just like, look at all the animals. She's like, the animals? What are you talking about? Get the- no, you're not having the dog in the bed. Get, get out. You know, like everything just changes as soon as another person shows up. See, isolation is easy. Alone is easy. It's only that when you, know, when you add other people that things get really complicated, right? But what God is telling us is that the complication is actually worth it. See, we, we think alone is better, but we're wrong. God looks at it and says, no, that is not good. See, the the truth is is that friendship isn't cheap. In fact, it's always more expensive than we expect it to be. It costs us something. And we're going to talk about this a little bit next week, but so often we think that relationships and friendships should just be easy and should not take a lot of effort. In fact, that's kind of how we judge relationships in our culture, right? Like if a friendship takes a lot of work, then it must just not be the right, I mean, it's it's not the right person. It's not a good fit. And part of it is because we live in a throwaway culture, right, where everything, and I mean everything, and everyone is disposable. If something doesn't work like it's supposed to or becomes any sort of hassle or inconvenience to us, we just get rid of it and start over. We set it, chop it off, set it on fire, and move on. And that's certainly carried over to how we respond in our relationships. 
And so we live in a, in a way where we try not to get too attached or too close to people, where we keep our options open and our roots shallow and one eye on the door. And there, then there's this other part of it, and I hesitated whether or not I want even want to get into this because I don't want you to misunderstand. See, I, I, I believe in therapy and in counseling. I've done a bunch of it myself, even this last year. I read stuff about mental and emotional health and relational health all the time. So I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm a fan. But I think sometimes we know enough or we've learned just enough, especially in our culture, to be dangerous with some of this stuff. And I want you to hear me. Nobody, nobody should stay in a relationship or an environment that's abusive or toxic. Nobody should. But with all of that said, I think sometimes we easily throw those words around, toxic or unsafe or whatever, like however we use those words. We throw these words around when the reality is it's not toxic at all. They're just kind of difficult. It's just a difficult person. Right? Or, or the reality is that having a relationship with them is harder than we thought it would be, and we're not sure it's worth it. Or, or the reality is, is that we just don't like them or some of the things they say or do. And so instead of doing the hard work that all relationships take, we chalk it up to them being unhealthy or toxic, and we cut them off, and we just move on. And we do it all under the banner of being healthy. But maybe, just maybe, it's the least healthy way we could have handled that situation possible. See, there are times where you need to distance yourself from someone. There are times where maybe you need to end a relationship. There are environments that you need to remove yourself from. But so often we use those things as excuses for just getting away from people that we find kind of hard to like. See, there are no meaningful relationships that don't require meaningful work. There are none. And that's the not always easy part. But God has designed life so that you and I cannot become who he created us to be on our own. If he did, Adam would have been fine. But God said it's not good. See, one of the crazy little paradoxes of the human condition is that you can only become yourself in relationship with other people. For all the talk and noise about relationships in our culture and friendship, for all the friending and following, all the Instagramming and TikToking, very few of us actually invest the time and energy necessary into creating long-term healthy friendships in relationships. And if we're honest, when it comes to building new friendships or even maintaining older ones, we often come up short and struggle to find anything or become anything close to what we read a little bit earlier of being a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I, I've been reading a lot about this. There's actually a growing concern around the world. It's not just here in our culture but around the world among doctors and experts and social scientists over what they're calling an epidemic of loneliness. And that may sound a little bit over the top, but man, the data is pretty overwhelming. And it's not just in our culture and it's not because of the pandemic, although the, the governmental responses around the world to the pandemic certainly accelerated a lot of the isolation and loneliness that people have experienced, but it was already going this way. But 
no matter what corner of the globe you go to, whether it's in a place like England or a place like Japan, who both within the last year have created national governmental cabinet positions in their government for what they're calling a minister of loneliness because people are so fractured and broken and alone in their society. Statistically, I was reading one study um, that the, globally the number of older prisoners has quadrupled in the last 20 years. And then we begin to dig into the data. What they found was that it was mostly older people who were committing minor crimes so that they could go to jail and not have to be stuck at home alone, isolated, so they could be around other people. See, as it turns out, the more focused we've become on being friends with everyone, the more we've lost our ability to seemingly be friends with anyone. It's not just old people. More young people than have ever before since they've been tracking this stuff at all report being lonely and isolated and disconnected. 25% of people, even before the pandemic in our culture, said that they had no friends at all, not even a single person. One kind of funny thing report I read was about Roomba vacuum cleaners. Anybody have a Roomba? You know, the little like round vacuum cleaner, little robot thing. You put it in the corner and it just comes out and automatically cleans. Um, and, And... it was a report about that said that over two-thirds of Roomba owners have actually named their vacuum, which is just kind of cute and funny. Um, but the company actually itself reported that what they have experienced in the last few years is that when one of their machines breaks or somebody has a problem with it and it gets sent in for repair, that most users refuse to be sent a brand new replacement. Because they don't want a different robot. They want their robot back. They want their back. They named it. This is ours. It belongs to us as part of our family. And it's not just like isolated little moments of one or two like kooky people that would do that. No, they're, they're saying like the overwhelming majority of people that send in their Roomba for repair want their Roomba back as if that, that's some sort of friend that they have that they don't want to leave behind. See... Loneliness is a problem, but it's nothing new. It's been a problem since Adam was in the garden. But just like Adam, we're not always aware of just how lonely we are. And oftentimes, by the time we become aware, by the time we notice it or feel it, it's one of those things that once it reaches to the point where it gets our attention, we're in critical condition. Like, we're so lonely. We're so isolated. We're so hurting. And wherever you may appear on that spectrum, wherever you may fall in your relationships, if you are in that place where you're experiencing or you know exactly what I'm talking about when we talk about this idea of loneliness, I want you to know that you're not alone in your loneliness and you were not meant to be alone. There's this really beautiful line in one of the songs that King David wrote. And he wrote a song about how amazing God is and about how God shows up and saves us and rescues us, about how God bears our burdens and he's a father to the fatherless. And this, this song in Psalm 68, verse 6, there's this, he gets to this one line, and it's really beautiful. He writes these words in this song. He says that God sets the lonely in families. I love that. Because that's what God's been doing from the beginning, starting with Adam. Adam's alone, and he creates a family, and he sets Adam in a family. That's what God has always done. 
That's his heart for you and for me, is to set people in families. In John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to his friends and his disciples. And he says, there is no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. You celebrate our friendship if you obey this command. I don't call you servants any longer. Servants don't know what their master's doing, but I have told you everything that the Father has said to me. No, I call you my friends. So often when you look at Jesus' life and you read the story of his life in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and you, you, we think of him and he's written about a lot as being our friend, as being a friend. And he is, and he was. But when you read about his life, you also see that he had friends. He had deep friendships, people he was close to, people he confided in, people that he depended on. And here he says something really interesting about friendship. He says there's no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. I don't know about you, but when we think and talk about the kind of people or the kind of relationships that we love, that, that we would give, that we'd willingly give our lives for, it's usually our spouse and our kids, and rightfully so. Friends never even factor into that conversation. Like, I love you, bro, but I am not dying for you, all right? Like, that's, that's kind of how that goes. That's kind of how we feel about that. But Jesus actually reframes it. It factored in. Now, I'm not obviously not advocating elevating friendship above marriage or family, not at all. But it's also not something that's just an afterthought or on the peripheral of our lives. If Jesus is serious, he's calling us to pursue and value friendship even to the point of being willing to give our lives for our friends, to become people to stick and stay and sacrifice for one another, to hold on to each other and not let go. But it doesn't just happen. There's no such thing as being lucky in relationships, including in friendship. We don't just sort of drift into friendship. We actually develop it intentionally with our choices and our actions. And so here's the thing I want to challenge you with. Here's the thing I maybe want to leave you with. Here's the assignment I want to give you for this week as we begin this conversation that at some point, maybe today, maybe one day this week, you just begin to take an inventory of your life and take an inventory of your friendships and begin to ask yourself, who are the people that you see as friends, but they really just kind of fit into that category of being a utilitarian relationship? There's nothing wrong with that, where it's almost transactional, where there's mutual benefit or there's a unifying purpose. Who are the people that fit into that? And then who are the people that are your fun friends, who are the, that, that's a little bit easier to identify, right? But then who are the people that you value them and their friendship and their relationship far beyond anything that comes, comes with that relationship? Who are the people that you can be real with? Who are the people that know you? Who are the people that know your story? Who are the people that you know them and you know their story? Just begin to think through it. Also, if you are one of those people that lonely describes different seasons or this season of your life, 
I, I do want you to hear me. You are not alone. See, I, I know it's, it's probably a crazy thing that I can't let go of, but I cannot let go of this thought, this heart, this desire that I have for our church. And I know that we're going to mess it up and it'll be messy and hard and I don't even know what it all means. But deep in my soul, I want for God to make this a family and for us to be a family that God can set lonely people in. People who are disconnected from him. People that maybe are disconnected from others. That we would love people and that this would be a place that when people think about it, they're not thinking about some place they go on Sundays. They're not even thinking about, oh, I have a friend that goes there. They think that those people in, in all of their craziness, those are my people. Those are the people that got my back. Those are the people that will show up. Those are the people I will show up for. That's, that's what I think God wants to create in your life and my life together that South Hills would be a family, an imperfect one, full of imperfect people, but a family nonetheless. And then finally, maybe this is the best place to sort of land this conversation, is that there, there is a God who loves you. You do have a friend who has laid down his life for you. You do have a creator and a savior who's come to rescue you if you've never stepped into that relationship and allowed God to become your friend, Jesus is here and he's inviting you to make that step this morning. Let's pray together.